Hello and welcome to the Shimmercast, the spikiest podcast in Eternal. I'm Doc28. And we we got a lot more new content to go over this week. Cthulhu, how are you doing? Oh, you know, not too bad. Just enjoying the grind of the game. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, before we get to our first topic of the day, we have a, a exciting new shout out for y'all. Cthulhu, do you want to lead us into that? Oh yeah, we got the uh, the first Patreon sub for the podcast, which is uh, East Out. So we want to give a huge shout out and thanks to him for uh, subscribing to our Patreon, which we will link at uh, the end of this uh, episode for anyone interested. But East Out, thank you so much for subscribing. Yep, yeah, our very first patron. Super, super excited about that. Um, and yeah, uh, with that, we our first topic is something that, uh, as of the recording, we just saw. New cards for Arjun Depths have been um, spoiled. We got a, a few new things going on. Wh- which card do you want to talk about first, Cthulhu? Well, I mean, I think before we talk about the cards, we can talk about the uh, three new keywords that have been brought in, which is uh, Plunder, Re- uh, Revenge is back again and right yeah and uh decay so we can uh, we can start off with the plunder which is a, a very interesting mechanic uh so basically what plunder is is when you plunder you can choose a card in your hand and then you can transform that card uh if you chose a power card in your hand you get a treasure trove if you chose a non-power card you will get a sigil of its factions uh if you get a mole if you pick a multi-faction uh non-power card uh you have an equal chance to transform into a sigil of any of its fractions. So if you transform a triple um, triple influence card, you have equal chances of getting, say, fire time justice, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The combos go on and on. Uh, but Plunder is a very interesting um, addition to the game as it allows you early game, if you're struggling and drawing the power to get your power drops, uh, as well as uh, later in the game, getting rid of cards you don't really need the matchup for Treasure Trove, which is just a good, it's just a two cost draw one card. Uh, so it gives you options. Uh, we've only had two plunder cards. No, I'm sorry, three plunder cards uh, previewed so far. Uh, starting with uh, you know one cost one one flying primal, which is a shifting illusion. Uh, summon plunder, simple as that. Just a one cost one one fire. Uh, and then we have a one cost zero three fire, uh, which is gleeful firebrand. This is a zero three for one. That when you play a spell that costs five or more, you deal three damage to an enemy, and this effect repeats. So it's not it's not a single instance; it repeats over and over. But it also does have that plunder keyword. And then we have a card that's probably the most insane card uh, spoiled so far, which is <laughs> which is Desert Alchemist. Now everyone knows that Desert Desert Wasp is already a very powerful card. It's a three cost flyer, deadly ambush. It deals with literally anything when it's played you can block and kill anything that's not unblockable or quick draw uh so this is a two cost two one with deadly and ambush and has the keyword plunder yeah this one's great this card's really really good it's like it's like if you took scorpion wasp took away its flying but then also sometimes it could effectively draw you a card yeah basically took away the took away the flying gave it an additional attack although i guess the attack doesn't really matter unless you're trying to like push for damage which uh, Ambush strategies have been a thing in the past, uh, so mm-hmm. we we don't. I, I I see this as being more of a defensive tool than an offensive tool, but oh for sure, yeah, that's to be determined. It's still uh, stat wise for what it does, it's absolutely insane. This card is loaded. It's got everything. It has the ability to deal with uh, with a, uh, threatening units. <clears throat> I can push damage as well. The plunder ability is very very nice early and late game. 
I, I expect this card to see a lot of play. Uh, I don't expect Shifting Illusion or Gleeful Friar Brand to see a lot of play, as uh, Shifting Illusion is purely just a 1-1 one, one for 1. Uh, it dies to literally everything. Um, maybe in some, uh, some Elysian Flyers and Expedition, it could see some form of play. Uh, but Gleeful Friar Brand, I think, is just completely underpowered. Um, maybe in a burn deck. Underpowered? Underpowered, yeah. Un- underpowered. Yeah, I agree with that. It's die- Having it die to Torch is rough, and then, like, if you are playing five cost or greater spells, like, do you really need this bolt effect? Like, I, I don't think so. Like, you should already be in a good spot if you're, like, casting enough spells to make, make that repeatable three damage uh, do something valuable. It's an interesting concept in burn decks. Uh, I mean, you could play the uh, you could play. I can't remember the name of the card. It's the five cost where the number uh, deals X damage where X is equal to your fire influence. Flash fire. Yeah. So you have flash fire. Uh, so I mean, it it'll see it'll definitely see some fringe play and some experimentation. I just don't think it's going to be really competitively viable. Definitely, a, I, I'm the, by no means a draft expert, but it could be a fairly decent draft card. Maybe. Oh yeah. Uh, we also have the Return of Revenge cards. Yeah, and they're on spells now, it looks like. Or at least a lot more. We have Revenge on spells. Yeah, well, we had it on, um, what's it, Sleepless Night? But like now we're getting it on like commons and uncommons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the three that we have been spoiled so far uh, are Mobilization, Forget, and Shared Visions. Mobilization uh, is probably the weakest of the three. Uh, it's just a three-cost double primal. Uh, Revenge play two uh, one one stampeding beasts. The stampede. I think beasts. they're one twos, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, one twos. Uh, they have no card text. They're just you just get two one twos uh, with a revenge uh, on the spell, so it'll play it again. So I mean, grand totally gets you uh, four eight worth of stats over the course of two turns if if you draw the card the very next turn. So it's an interesting concept. Um, might see some play in some kind of like. Uh, Skycrag tokens, or maybe a uh, Elysian tokens. A Shimmer Pack deck. You do get four free units. The next two are a lot more powerful. Uh, forget, for one, is I, I feel Forget is incredibly powerful. It's a one-cost time. Uh, silence an enemy unit, Revenge. So you get two guaranteed Silence an enemy unit triggers. One immediately, the second one after a short period of time depending on where it is in your deck. Uh, Silence is a very, very strong mechanic. I think right now it's probably not as good, just because there's a lot of unitless control decks uh, in Throne. But in Expedition, this card is this card is very good in Expedition. There's a lot of cards you want to silence, like Jack, Milos. Interesting. What, what, what kind of deck do you think you'd put this card in? Because uh, like, I, I, I can see how this card could be good. I'm just not really sure where, where currently I would put it. Well, it's definitely good on a control list, uh, for sure. Uh, just the ability to be able to draw, because uh, you get the draw from it with its revenge, as, as well as the instant trigger. Uh, so a controller could probably be pretty good. Uh, Combray, Elysian, Praxis, uh, Mono Time. There's a lot of different shells this could fit in and, and work viably. I think this card is very uh, versatile, even though it does one thing. It does that one thing very well. Yeah, I mean, if if you count the card off of revenge as like drawing a card, then it like replaces itself if you get it in a timely manner. And then if you count like how much of a card do you think two silences is worth? So 
the revenge itself is a one for one because you are drawing a card and instantly silencing a unit. But I think if we're talking like strictly like like power level rating this card, uh, it's tough to discern currently as we don't really know. As I said, the meta is currently a lot of unitless control decks. So as it currently stands, it's it's good because there's still Fallon and Xenon lists out there. Mm-hmm. But with the excess amount of unitless control decks, it's probably not that great currently. Yeah, I can see that. And I think like it's I could see it being used as a like nice free way off of revenge to pop a pop an Aegis on a unit, which will matter a lot against Feln and other strategies with um Aegis units. So yeah, I, I can see that being being reasonable. Yeah, Champion and Cunning, Akaria, all cards that come in and have a huge impact off the bat, but are uh, relatively hard to deal with this card <clears throat> at least pops their aegises for one yeah and then the last revenge card we have is a uh, shared vision shared vision is a three primal 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 uh spell with revenge that says exhaust two of your units to give the top card of your deck destiny now do you remember the last card that gives a top card of your deck destiny? Well, there was Diogo, and there was also, uh, if we're talking strictly units, there was Pathfinder. Now, back in the day, Pathfinder was a 5-mana 3-3 three, three that gave the top unit of your deck destiny. Now, that card was absolutely... Oh, wait. Wait, no, it wasn't destiny. No, no, no. You're thinking of... Um... No, it gave it Echo. Oh, but, but it right. usually had... You're thinking of Echo Mokto. Uh, because yeah. the Mako already has Destiny. If it already has Destiny and then you give it Echo, then you get right. two Moktos, and then those Moktos go back and you get more Moktos forever and ever. <laughs> yeah. So this so this would be more similar to uh to Diago. That's that's correct. It's so it's a very like this card is very strong. It's it does a lot. It's has it has pretty hefty drawbacks with having to exhaust two units as well as it being a four faction primal four three means you're not going to be able to play it on three, which I think I think is a smart call from Direwolf because uh, I mean turn three play this exhaust two units next turn you get an instant unit for free plus a draw off of it. I think the draw I think them putting it at four primal for three was probably the smartest idea. Yeah, well, well, I think the real smart thing they did is putting it in primal, right? Because they, they had this potential like design space that's risky, but they're like, oh, we could just put it in the worst faction, and maybe it won't be too bad. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it, that, and that's all. Depend- <laughs> that, that's all dependent upon the units we see for primal. Uh, we have well, had- yeah, but but primal is like historically like doesn't get great units on rate. Um, and it also doesn't get like great synergy units. It gets a lot of like it has a lot of like expensive bomby units um in in the like top top end range but in terms of like low to the ground units primal doesn't do a great job of that so this card definitely needs to be paired in another faction and that's what makes it a tricky build around because it's for primal and you want to play it like at least by like turn five or turn six exactly yeah this is you're not going to see this in a mono primal list unless we see some seriously powerful uh primal units uh, come out of this set which we don't know because it's still too early to tell um, I still think that this card is going to see definite experimentation uh, in, in just combo decks in general, or even just like straight mid-range and aggro decks. Interesting. I guess my question is like for an aggro deck, um, how much time do you have to do this? And what are you, and like, well, imagine you, the top card of your deck is Blazing Salvo or something, and then you're like, oh, well, didn't you didn't get that much power off of it. The, the thought process is, I mean, with with aggro decks and, and even mid-range, mid-range decks included, uh, more often than not, you're going to have two units on the board by turn four. Which means I can you're, see that, yeah. Which means you're going to get the trigger off of it. Um, 
And with aggro decks, there's a lot of powerful draws right now. Milo's, Jack. I mean, I just want you to think about just getting a Jack for free. That is, that is true. I could see it being good market card. Where like, um, but I don't know. I guess it, you would have to play regular merchants. But like, imagine like Genev merchant, uh, like shared vision. You don't. So you don't have to play regular merchants anymore. Because oh, of- that's right. <laughs> That's actually a perfect segue into the next one, <laughs> which is the new set of cards, which are called etchings. Uh, so etchings, they are new. They are new. They're a cycle of new market cards for this new set. Now these cards, there's one for each. There's time etchings, fire etchings, justice, shadow, primal. So there's one for each faction. They all cost one. Now uh, initially, what they are is it. So each one, when you play it, draws a sigil of that card. So justice will draw justice, fire will draw fire, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, now, if you have four influence, so if you have four time, four fire, four justice, you can exhaust a unit of that uh, particular influence. So for instance, time uh, would exhaust a time unit and you can swap a card from your market. So this gives you an ability to play your market without having to play merchants if, if you so choose. <clears throat> so now this is a, these cards are, I think are going to be really good in three color control decks uh, as it fixes your uh, your colors very well with the ability to draw your sigils, as well as uh, pretty much guaranteed in to your market. Um, which ones we'll see the most play is going to be uh, determined upon how this uh, meta forms around this next set. But I think all in all, these cards are very, very strong. Look, fire etchings is going to just pair really well with jack it, it draws a fire sigil and jack loves fire sigils also like shadow etchings might help taz be strategies um with their consistency because a lot of times um those decks would be like they don't have great merchant options all, all a lot of the time unless you're like in Fallon and you can play like a blight pass smuggler um so it, a lot of the other smuggler and market options for shadow decks are like pretty susceptible to removal um this isn't, and then also helps you play Tazbu at some point. Um, so I, I'm excited about that, and it opens up the range of what like shadow based um, shadow based mid range strategies and throne can do. And there's not really much more to say about those cards, other, uh, other than the fact that we have a new set of market cards in the game now, and we, <laughs> we, we know how people love market. Um, yeah, I mean they're going to be good in expedition too. Um, oh, oh, just like. Doubt. Because they, they, again, expand the options, right? Because, like, for Justice decks, a lot of times you just didn't want to have a market, especially in, like, the, um, the like, Huru, um, Huru Mother of Skies deck. Because Furious Crescendo isn't very good and Transpose isn't very good in, in Expedition. The options are a lot more limited. And it's, like, a lot more of an opportunity cost. Um, so I think these, these are going to really help that. These were the market cards that Expedition was looking for, as we don't really have access to the merchants right now. Uh, and the spells are good, but it really limits Expedition's market pool. So these will just give Expedition whatever cost they want. It's not limited by cost anymore. Yeah, I mean, that that's exciting. It definitely, like, Expedition will have markets, potentially, that look a lot similar to what um, markets uh, used to, looked like in Throne and used to look like back in... Um, older expedition that i'm pretty sure had merchants right i think so if i remember correctly i should remember because i've played in old expedition tournaments where i think i like there was a um, ikaria blue deck that was good so there were smugglers i think yeah i've never played um old expedition so i'm not quite sure but we will see how it goes uh for sure but why don't you tell us about the new 
the newest mechanic that is coming to the to the game? Uh, yeah, so we uh, have a new mechanic. It's called Decay. Um, if you are a fan of Magic the Gathering, it, it's really similar to Wither. It's basically um, uh, when this deals damage to a unit or relic weapon, that card's strength and health or armor are permanently reduced by that much. It's basically like damage becomes permanent um, from whatever thing has decay. And so you can get decay on a unit, you can get decay on a spell, you can get decay on a, on a weapon or a relic weapon. Um, you can even get it on a giant uh, legendary bomb like Roland. Uh, so yeah, I like it. It's interesting. Wither was interesting in Magic. I don't know. It's not like super inspiring or like the most like ingenuous thing, but it's cool. I like it. So here's the thing. Um, I think decay in, in draft specifically is going to be very strong regardless of the power level printed. Um, I think that if they print a lot of strong decay cards, this is going to be a force to be reckoned with in throne and expedition. Uh, just the ability to not temporarily, but permanently reduce stats on not just units, but relic uh, weapons as well, is is incredibly strong, uh, because the only other way to the only way to get rid of those is to buff them back up, and there's not a lot of decks mm-hmm. that do that right now. Um, the decay cards that we have promoed right now are as follows: so we have Brightling, which is a four cost one time unit. It is a flying decay with one three, so uh, decently sta- uh, decently statted. Uh, I think it's a little expensive for a one three, but uh, the decay the decay comes into consideration with it being a four cost instead of saying a three or two cost. Uh, then we also mm-hmm. have a one cost fire spell, which is chemical rounds, which is decay deal two damage. Uh, this will be, I think, an interesting like include in some aggro decks potentially. Uh, and then we also have a decay relic weapon, which is razor's edge. It is a three cost double shadow. Uh, one five weapon. So I mean, you're dealing one, getting, uh, and then anything it touches is getting neg one, neg one every time it hits. <clears throat> now combo that with something like uh, what was the zero cost uh, gate card? I can't remember the, uh, the the nightmare gates. Yeah, nightmare gates. I mean, combo with nightmare gates. Now all of a sudden it's a five nine. I think it's plus four. Is it plus four or plus five? Uh, it's plus five, and that seems really good. Yeah, so I mean, you, you nightmare gates Razor's Edge, and all of a sudden it's a six uh, six ten with decay, <laughs> meaning it's reducing everything it touches by negative six negative six permanently. Uh, I think that it, that that I mean, the odds of us like this will probably be a market card in that deck. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I could. I, it'll see play. I, I think I think it'll see play or something like it. It's possible they spoil some kind of decay relic weapon that's just better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there is going to be a like decay weapon kind of thing that will see some play somewhere. The interaction seems good to me. Yeah, and then we also have. I mean, this card was already uh, spoiled, which was the it was the poster card for the new uh, set Argent Depths, which was Roland Iron Tyrant, a four cost two five. Its faction is uh, four Justice two Shadow. I really like how they went on the Justice side instead of the Shadow side because mm-hmm. it it. it, it it pushes it away from that like mono shadow theme we've been seeing a lot, um, which is really nice to see. And it's uh, so it's a two five decay endurance. Uh, when a unit dies, you get a silver braid, a silver a one one silver blade reaper with flying and deadly, and then roll it gets plus one plus one. Uh, so the more units this thing kills, the stronger its decay triggers become. Uh, when it hits the board, it's a two five, which really isn't that strong for four. In fact, for four, that's really underwhelming. I mean, because if you compare it to something like Sandstorm Titan, which is a four mana five six with uh, endurance, that also 
negates flying. Uh, but if this combos off and say like an FJS deck or a, uh, uh, an Arjunport deck that has a lot of ways of killing units, this card can become uh, pretty devastating pretty quickly. I wouldn't say that this card is a bomb per se, um, just because we don't really have a lot of info, but I think as it currently stands, this card has a chance of seeing some resurgence of, of Arjunport mid-range or even FJS again. <laughs> this is the most urgent port card. This is the most AP mid card I've seen in a while. I think it's a lot better than you're giving it credit for. For starters, it's an X5, which is really good. Um, it's one of those cards that once you like, once it starts rolling, it's going to snowball pretty fast because you're making oh, yeah, other yeah. units and it's getting bigger. Like this, this seems like everything Statuary Maiden wants to be. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I do not argue that this card is a good card. I just um, I argue that stat wise, when it hits the board, it's relatively weak. But if it survives for a turn or two, that's when it becomes a problem. It, it's a very good card. I just think that there are currently a lot of ways to deal with it. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. we, I'm hoping we see. Um, I I would like to see a lot of support for decay. Um, it doesn't really interfere with the play style I like to play, but I, I'm I'm going to experiment with it uh, without a doubt. So it'll be nice to see. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm super excited to play with Roland. I want to try to find a way that I can play it in the same deck as Tazu and Akaria. It'll be really hard. Probably won't work, but I'll I'll, I'll try. I'll try. You'll see me try. <laughs> yeah, I think the fact that um, having Roland and Akaria in the same list is going to be very difficult, just because Roland is a uh, is four uh, four justice and Akaria is six shadow. The cards are very, mm, yeah. yeah, and I think they realize that. And I'm, I'm just spitballing here. I think they realize that, and they're, and they're like, okay, we don't want to put this in the shadow side of things because those two cards combo together very well. I mean, Akari mm. is just an insta kill card when it hits the board, uh, and in most cases, it is a card that needs to be dealt with relatively immediately uh, right now, given the current uh, meta. So I'm very happy that they did not decide to put it on the shadow side. I think putting it. On the, on the justice side was a very correct uh line yeah no i i agree with you definitely be a challenge i might have to play some uh, argent port strangers you know um i i could almost see that working in expedition i, I could almost see it working like right you just play like you play argent ports you, you play like random extra stranger stuff the cards aren't good but you get to curve like rollant into like carve it into the caria and just like do really powerful stuff i don't know it, it could work so and I, I'm not much of, a, of an expedition expert, so I'm, I'm going to hold my my opinion on that because uh, expedition is not where I shine personally. So it'll be nice to see how that goes with expedition. I think in Throne, uh, it's probably a little stronger. There's a lot more access to cards that just kill things in Throne than mm-hmm. expedition. But I mean, yeah, the the, the power is going to be a lot um, a lot easier um, in Throne than it will be in expedition to make Roland actually um, be playable on curve. Mm-hmm. So another thing that we should talk about is like what sort of card designs do we think this new set's going to have? Well, so based on what we've seen, it seems like they are they're really willing to push uh, they're really willing to push stuff. Uh that that's very clear. Um there's a lot of different ways they could go with revenge. I just hope they don't break it. Revenge is is a, the kind of mechanic that can go really wrong. So mm-hmm. I hope that they're careful with that. Um I, I I like what they did with the etching cycle. I'm hoping there isn't another market cycle, but I, I could very well see them um, doing some other kind of weird market thing. So something I should point out before we 
continue on as I'm reading this uh, this link uh, for the revenge. So after you play mobilization the first time, this was the the primal revenge that was, that was uh, talked about. It goes into the top ten cards in your deck. Now this might have been something I've overlooked, but does revenge always go in the top ten, or is that a new feat? Yes, yes, it always does. Okay, so that's just something. Okay, see, that's just something I didn't know. So that, that's okay. Yeah. So then, with it going to top ten, we need to. They probably need to be careful about the power level of the revenge cards they print. I think it's. Oh I, yeah. I'm happy to see more revenge cards. Oh, they're cool when they work. They're they're cool when they're balanced. I agree. It's just when they're when they're unbalanced. When you have like Echo Mokto actually being like good, that's a problem. Yeah, but I, I don't think that's an archetype we'll see back anytime soon. <laughs> you know what i mean they would be just like echo i mean pretty off topic i played against a guy who played a uh, uh a echo mokdo deck uh he played the relic that whenever you play, <laughs> uh whenever you play a unit it doubles its attack and health and it was Ooh, funny spicy I, so i was playing i was playing zolta control and i ended up getting like 20 20 akarias and like 15 night like huge huge units and it was fun um i just think Echo Mokdo is probably not in the best spot, but oh no, <laughs> not at all. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? Yeah, I mean, turn to seeds kind of just shuts down things like that. Which is, I mean, with with turn to seeds being in the game, things like that shouldn't run too rampant as long as turn the turn to seed escapes a uh, a round of nerfs. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people who really want to see Turn to Seed nerfed, and I, I get where they're coming from. This is a little off topic. I get where they're coming from, but the card just seems fine to me. Like, I don't, I don't, do not have a problem with it whatsoever. It's good no. gameplay. It leaves behind free cardboard. It, uh, like, it's very powerful. It keeps, it keeps random nonsense in check. Like, honestly, getting rid of my opponent's jacks is, is great. Like, I, I don't want to see their jacks. Like, go away. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Turn to Seeds is one of the few reasons I don't... I mean, I would like to see Jack nerfed, but Turn to Seeds is one of the few reasons I don't see Jack getting nerfed because it keeps cards like that in check, as you said. Um, so I don't think it's as polarizing as people say. I think it, it is an annoying card to play, but there's just there's a lot of unitless decks in the ladder right now, and against those decks, Turn to Seed does literally nothing. It just it is a dead card in your hand mm -hmm. sits there. But depending on how this set uh, is brought forward, could determine whether or not Turn to Seeds is really strong or still stays at its current state because it's not mm -hmm. going to get it'll only get weaker if it's nerfed. So currently, it's only mm -hmm. get, it's either going to get stronger depending on, on the archetypes that are brought out in the set, or it's just going to stay at its current power level. And currently, it's it is just it's it's not overbearing. It's just annoying. I mean, sometimes it's like just worse than slay, right? Like some sometimes by by keeping that free piece of cardboard there, it could give your opponent an extra turn or two that they need to come back in a game. Like the card definitely like definitely doesn't have no downside. I wouldn't say that it's worse than Slay, just because Slay hits a single unit, whereas Turn to Seed hits. Oh no 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 no! I'm 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 not suggesting that it's always worse than Slay. I'm saying like sometimes it is worse than Slay, and I think we can agree on that. Like if you need the 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 unit completely off the board to swing for lethal, but turning into a seed lets them chump block, that's then it's worse than Slay. That, yeah. That's kind of what I mean. That's okay. That's a valid point. It does give you the zero two blocker, which has the potential of turning into a five seven. But typically, most decks that run turn to seed have a way of either immediately dealing with turn to seed, or 
within subsequential turns dealing with turn seeds. But I mean, other than that, there's really not much to talk about in Argent uh, in the Argent Depths. As more things come out, we will we'll talk about uh, different things. Yeah, and on that, and on that, if um if you have a spoiler and you want it to, uh, if if you were able to buy a spoiler from the community store and you would like it revealed on the podcast, please shoot uh, TCG Cthulhu or I a DM. We would be more than happy to uh, release a spoiler on the podcast. I tried to get one this morning and failed. Uh, yeah, actually, so. four, four of my teammates ended up getting uh, spoilers. So, <laughs> oh, are you, you okay? You got you got to ask them to at least. We got to get at least one spoiler on the podcast. I mean, I mean, if, I, if mean. We, I, I definitely plan on getting a spoiler in the next round of spoilers. Uh, I missed the spoilers because I wasn't paying attention this time around. It's not going to happen next time. My the rest, <laughs> the rest of my team was ready. They were they were sitting there waiting for it. Ah, uh, yeah, for sure. The main thing we wanted to talk about in this episode is, is it's it can be a pretty touchy topic, but I think it's an interesting topic to talk about to talk about and elaborate on, uh, just to get the community thinking, and that's the the decklist ecosystem, and like what do we mean by decklist ecosystem? We mean you know content producers, teams, websites that are pushing out all of these uh, these deck lists that people can see and try, and really, like, what that means for the game. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Like, what Like what does it do? It's, like... It's, like, the, the, the core idea that, like, I, I'm thinking about here is, like, how do you... How does the, like, eternal world go from seeing cards to what is actually being played on ladders and what like the individual player's experience is like. And like that process is really complicated and involves a lot of different players. One of the biggest factors in the in the decklist ecosystem is of course eternalwarcry.com. Eternal Warcry has been a, a staple for as long as I've played. Steaver Cakes does does an incredible job. Yeah, from the beginning of the, of the the game for Eternal for the most part when this uh, website came into uh, fruition, uh, it's been just the easiest way of people to who aren't necessarily good at building decks and don't have a team to work with building decks or don't have the access uh, to build decks themselves to go on and look, okay, I have X cards. I want to see what I can play, or I just want to see what's being played, or I want to see what's good, or what's the most top rated. The turn of Warcry is really good at that because it gives everyone equal footing in that as long as deck lists are being posted. It is, it's the number one way of getting decks. It's the number way of, one, number one way of building decks. It's the number one way of sharing decks. And it's going to be the number one way for the life of the game. Uh, there's also content creators, major teams, Team Rankstar, Friends of Eternal, um, back in the day, probably SPG, and oh, I can't remember older teams. Eter- Eternal Titans, which, I, which I'm on. Yeah, Eternal, <laughs> Eternal Titans, Seek Power. Uh, I just said that SPG. Um, <laughs> so, how do we like? How do you feel that these these categories, whether it's Eternal Warcry, content creators, or big teams, really um, impact the game uh, and the meta state of the game? Um, yeah, so that's complicated. There, there are a bunch of different things that influence uh, like metagame perception. And, and when I say perception, I don't mean to imply that anything is not real or not valid. Like as far as I'm concerned, perception is reality, especially in card games. So if, if like a large enough majority of people perceive something to be correct, like, it, like that, like it is correct. 
within within that context or it is highly played or whatever right um and so one of the things that could influence that is when you're looking for deck lists on eternal war cry if you see a uh, really well-known player someone who posts a lot um people who are building a repertoire um posting lots of deck lists and providing really thorough commentary you might be more likely to um take their deck out for a spin and that can definitely affect what gets played on the ladder and then what other people see as they're playing those people so it all it all um, flows and like feeds into so so here's the thing like we know that there are players that are better than other players because that's just how that is how games work whether it's whether it's video games or sports that just life in general there's always gonna be someone that's better um at, at a certain thing than than another person so my question is do you think that and like how, how do i word this do you think that uh decks when they're posted whether it's on eternal whether it's on twitter whether whether it's on stream uh if you see a higher a highly a more well-known player versus a less well-known player do you think because the the do you think because uh player number one is more well known and has you know better finishes that people will gravitate more towards their deck because they're better versus the other player because they're not as well known they don't have as many top finishes like like as unbiased as possible i'm trying to be does that make sense yeah no i get what you're saying i think i think a lot there's a few things it depends on one of them is like the gap between that right say you have like the boxer versus someone who's played eternal for a month and has no top finishes that that that's a pretty big delta I, i'll be more inclined to uh t- take the boxers deck for a spin but uh sometimes it can be closer like you have like two two players that have top finishes one is like slightly more well known it, it, it kind of depends I, I it's a really hard question to answer i think like a lot of it is um is basically like how how much those players market themselves, right? Because you can have very, very good players, um, but not all of them will post their deck lists everywhere. Um, not all of them will play their deck lists on ladder even. Um, a lot of teams are very secretive with their testing. Um, and so you might not see as many of their decks on the ladder. And so like the ladder, in a lot of cases, will be the byproduct of like what, what people what people think are the best decks from um, credible sources that are actually sharing their lists. And so that, that's like another subcategory, right? Not everyone's going to be sharing their lists. So you're not necessarily getting like Manu S's uh, perfect deck or whatever. <laughs> like, right. Like, and like, it's not like everyone's running around playing like whatever, like crazy concoction he has brewing uh, all the time. Cause he doesn't like post his deck list very much, except for if he places in a tournament and then his deck list gets posted that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a big thing. Um, yeah, I say that's important. It, it, it's it's very it's very complicated, and I think a lot of it is also like there'll be there'll be certain people, certain posters on Eternal War Cry who uh, who have reputation. They post a lot. They post certain kinds of decks, um, and it's it, all it takes is like a, a, a couple people, honestly, like a few people to just start jamming it on ladder constantly. And if they're like high rank or people keep running into them a lot for some reason, cause like ladder, the, the ladder days going slow or whatever. Um, it can really, uh, it can really spread and you can see a bunch of it on ladder and be like, what the heck? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, I remember a while back I wrote an article about Tazbu and I like put some deck lists in that article. And so I was winning a lot with like Tazbu decks, 
And then the next day, I, I go on ladder, and everyone are, is playing Tazbu decks. And now I'm playing mirrors. And I, I didn't think to build my deck for the mirror. And so I was getting crushed. And I was like, what happened? And I came to the realization that like the content I made like caused people on ladder to start playing um, playing around with Tazbu and with the ideas and the strategies that I was proposing. Mm-hmm. And so that, that kind of gave me like a firsthand understanding of like how how an individual person or a group of people can really impact the eternal ecosystem because it is relatively small compared to a game like Magic. And like if you put yourself out there enough, you can you can have a, a tangible impact on what people play. So so here's another question that you know I kind of just thought. Now, say you are a very well-known player, you write an article, you post a deck list, you know, whatever you are doing, you you bump into a bunch of people on ladder, and you know, okay, these people like these players are probably going to play this list based upon my Eternal Warcry deck, based upon my uh, Twitter post, my stream. And I say my uh, subjectively in the sense of, you know, just whoever is doing it. Um, is that a situation where that player thinks, okay, are a lot of people going to be playing my deck? If so, do I tweak my deck to play in the mirrors that I may or may not see? I think the answer to that is how much you care about um, winning on ladder. I think that's really what it is, right? Like, I think if your goal is like, I want to win on ladder, like a strategy you can do is is if you have enough influence to get a bunch of people to play a deck you post and then play something that beats it or like you tune it for the mirror, like you can probably win some amount, some reasonable amount of games by doing that. I would argue that's not worth it um, just because I don't think ladder is that important, like important enough to justify going to the lengths of doing that because that's really tedious. Um but yeah, it's something you could think about, and you can think, and you can think about whether that will translate to a tournament or not. That, that's what I. W- that's the first thing I would think about. Is like, are people going to play this deck enough and real? Like, are they going to think it's good enough to bring to a tournament? And that that doesn't necessarily mean you think it's good enough to bring to a tournament. That means do do I think people picking up this deck will be like, yeah, I really like this deck. I'm going to play it in the next ECQ, and that can matter a lot for what you play against in that tournament. So, so here's the thing. Things like Eternal Warcry, content creators, and you know, big teams, uh, do these do these factions um, impact the perception of a metagame, or do they not? And if they are impacting the metagame, how are they impacting the metagame? I guess th- there's kind of this mis- misconception I get around that, like, um, and we're gonna get into this more later. That um, that metagame is like are always like on the verge of being solved. Like you're always working towards the like solving of a metagame. I, that could be true in games like magic where you have substantially more players, more minds at one time thinking about the game, innovating on the game, etc. And this doesn't have anything to do with the quality of minds in eternal. I think eternal has a lot of really, really great players, content creators and thinkers. It's more so about the quantity, right? Just having more people thinking about a problem independently of each other We'll, we'll speed up that process. Um, and, and so, and so I think like it's, it, it's hard, it's hard to see like the like perceptions of the metagame are going to change a lot, especially in eternal. And I think it's, I think it's actually pretty hard to break eternal for that reason. So would you say that the metagame would never, will never truly be solved? I think, I think the idea of a truly solved metagame is a little bit, is a little bit flawed in general, unless something is clearly, clearly so overpowered that there's no reason not to play it. Like I'm thinking about like magic Cobblade, for example. I think it's also important to realize that, you know, 
with card games and and different card games, always introducing new cards. I, I feel like it's for the most part relatively it's relatively impossible to say I've solved the metagame. I know what is good, what is bad, uh, because there are always going to be different niches, different combinations mm-hmm. of cards that haven't seen play because there's clearly better cards, but we don't know if those X cards are, are better because they haven't seen play. Uh, and because card games are always evolving, it's hard to say, you know, I've solved the metagame uh, because mm-hmm. to be able to, I mean, realistically speaking, to solve a metagame, like to completely solve a metagame, you'd have to play every single concept of deck with every single combination of cards, or at least I, so in my personal opinion, you'd have to play every concept of deck, every combination of cards against every concept of deck, every combination of cards figure out okay this does well against this does this does bad against this this performed mm-hmm. best out of x y and z so i don't know i there there will always be a meta there will always be a hierarchy of like mm-hmm. what, what is good but i don't think that there's ever going to be at least in eternal and i could be wrong a solved meta game where it is just definitive you know x y z yeah i and i think you, you're touching on this for sure i the sample sizes are too small. Like I think for everyone, I, I don't think any. I I really don't think anyone plays enough games with enough decks to actually like know exactly how good every single combination of cards is. Like that is not that's not a thing, right? And so like, and then when I think of like someone like breaking a meta game or whatever, I don't think of like you're breaking like the entire format or you're breaking you're like breaking it solidly you're you're breaking it for whatever tournament right so you're 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 taking what people perceive to be the metagame and you're just like breaking it right in half for that tournament right and when i think of like finding the best deck i want to find the best deck for whatever specific tournament i'm focusing on does that kind of make sense yeah um i do think eternal I mean, eternal has a ladder presence but eternal is definitely more heftily revolved around the ecqs uh, QCPs, mm-hmm. uh, and typically players probably try and find decks that work for those through the process of playing on ladder. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And it's something else I want to touch on in terms of like how people are coming to these decisions of like, I should play this or I shouldn't play that. Um, I'm going to make the argument now that cards that are released sooner, cards that are like fresher in people's minds, like are going to see more play based on the fact that they're new and people want to experiment with them. Do you think that's a fair assumption to make? So kind of like a recency bias where just the yeah, more exactly. attention. Um, I wouldn't argue against it. I would think, you know, with any card game, when new cards come out, people want to experiment with them, which leaves older cards for the most part uh, in the dust, unless the older cards uh, work well with the newer cards. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a tricky uh, balancing equation of, you know, how the newer cards work yeah for sure i think like the 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 people that are creating the new cards want these new cards to see play so like in a sense a lot of them will be more powerful than a lot of older cards um so that's one thing but at the same time um people will like obviously forget about older cards at a certain point like um i forgot about a lot of like random set one like withering witch like no one plays Withering Witch anymore. That card was a staple. That oh, card yeah. probably that card probably works well with Jack. Yeah, Withering Witch plus uh, Black Sky Harbinger was pretty good. You know, just you would just reduce everything to one health, 
um, play your Harbinger on the following turn, or if you have enough power, play Harbinger on the same turn and just wipe the board. And it was a, it was a very nifty niche uh, two-card combo for Felm that definitely saw a lot of play uh, back in the day. I, I remember quite well playing Felm when those two cards saw a lot of play. Yep, absolutely. And there's stuff like that. I mean, like, one card that people, like... Um, we're we're getting on to pretty pretty late and like what ended up making a big difference in the expedition ECQ were cards like Siege Breaker and Torgov. Uh cards like like when was the last time you've seen Torgov C play? Like pretty much like not 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 in a not in a blue moon, right? Um but it, like it, it ended up being really good and really important for that tournament because it didn't die to Jack and it was like it was a reasonable body. It had a reasonable um uh on hit effect. Like the card, and I think the card was never bad. It just like was never better than other options for a while. Yeah, and that that was an instance where I mean, Jack was clearly a dominant threat that needed to be answered, uh, and the easiest way to answer Jack was just to play good statted units that didn't die to Jack immediately. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and there's some something we haven't talked about yet that I think is like crucial to all of this. And it's like this big over overhanging thing. Uh, and that that's the fact that we don't have the ETS anymore. Um, one thing I was talking to boxer about this. And one of the things he was saying is that uh, when the ETS was around, uh, players were more incentivized to innovate on a, like a week by week basis. And so you'd get like new deck lists every week. You, you'd see top players in the top eight. Um, innovating with new strategies and then you'd see them played on ladder and it would be like the ecosystem would move a little bit faster. Um, and and the, the way, the way he and I both see it now is things move a little bit slower because there's less consistent, like churning of deck lists, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. It was definitely unfortunate to come back to the game and find that there was no eternal community uh, tournament scene. Um, I do hope in the future that that does come back. I mean, if I ever just happened to come into, you know, a large sum of money, I would definitely try and like to <laughs> fund the new Eternal Community Tournament scene. Because, you know, I mean, not only was that a good way to have decks constantly flowing, but it was it was such a good way to build the the uh, Eternal Community. Because you have these, mm-hmm. these tournaments every week that anyone can get into. And Eternal, as I've said in the past, is a card game that, for the most part, is very affordable to get into. Uh at a competitive level, it's not expensive. Uh, the cards do not cost an insane amount. It is incredibly easy to grind gold and get the gold for packs, uh, campaigns, you name it. Um, so I would. It, it was sad to see the ETS gone, but I, I do think that with the ETS gone, there is kind of like this. I don't know. Almost like we've been we've been locked in a vacuum that just slows that slowed down deck uh, deck production uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, decks are still being made on a daily basis. I mean, if you go on Eternal, there's decks still being made almost daily. Uh, most of them probably will never see the light of day just because, you know, they're fringe, meme, you know, just fun decks. And I, I think a lot of people that play card games, want they, they, all, they'll, they like to play decks that are fun, but they also want to play decks that are going to win. And one thing that, t- that the ETS scene did really well in the ECL was you had top players consistently playing in these events all the time, which means... Uh, top tier decks were being put in the game uh, scene a lot more often than they are now. Whereas mm-hmm. currently, it's it's typically you know if a player has come up, come with a really good throne deck, really good expedition deck uh, before ECQ, or it's typically just ECQs where we see the deck lists come out. 
yeah yeah i miss the ets that's <laughs> that's kind of all i have to say now i'm just i'm the nostalgia is is overwhelming yeah oh man but alas we are here um yeah and i think like one of the things is like i guess the the, the, the flip side of that coin is is say we have a meta that a lot of people like or that has the potential to become really stale. The fact that it goes slowly can mean like for a certain period of time, like in the like month between one ECQ and another meta can be really pleasant because people haven't like figured it out any further yet, but then you go to the tournament and then it was like, it becomes like really um, uh, heavily dominated by one archetype or something. Right. Um, so it, it can sometimes kind of like prolong kind of like grace periods in, in metagames. Um, but I would say that's the exception rather than the rule. And in a lot of cases, it uh, stifles uh, innovation. Yeah. It's, um, I, I want nothing more than, you know, for the Eternal scene to grow back to its former glory. And the ETS and community scenes did a very good job of that. But uh, it, they just didn't have the life in them in, in certain ways to continue going, which is uh, it's a little sad, but it is something that is was inevitable in certain regards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, this is a somber note to um, m- move on from, um, but uh, as we're um, getting close to wrapping up our show, uh, we got a new uh, end of show segment for you. Uh, this is called spontaneous deck suggestions. Uh, how this works is every single person on the cast for whichever week we're doing the cast uh, is going to give a very quick, uh, very quick shout out to a uh, deck or strategy that they've been playing. And, um, recommend it to people uh do you want to start or should i start um sure i i I think i can give a quick deck um i know a lot of people hate the concept of unitless controls they find it uh very uneventful to play uh and to play against but i think that unitless control decks right now are just in a very good spot um they're very strong they can deal with a lot of threats relatively easily um so i mean a deck i would recommend would be huru control there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different there's a lot of different variable uh, versions of the list, depending on how you want to play. Uh, two lists that I personally played a lot that are very, uh, very strong are Kamado's list and uh, the Bergen's list. Um, Kamado's list you can find on his Twitter. Uh, the Bergen's list, he's a teammate of mine. I'm not going to share his list because I do not know if he wants the list shared, but I'm sure if you reach out to him, he would be more than willing to, uh, to give you the list. It's just not, I, I want to respect the, uh, the lines of you know being on the team and not uh, releasing something that I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that yeah, that's a good clarification. That we're not going to like share tech that other teammates want want hidden for whatever reason. So th- that's not what this is. This is just like other stuff. I mean, which and the decks are still good. Like I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna suggest any bad decks mm-hmm. to anybody. And I think before you go off on your tangent with your with the deck that you were gonna recommend, I think it's important to realize that you know this is a topic that could be taken in the wrong context in a lot of ways uh because mm-hmm. the the idea of an ecosystem of decks being shared is very good we just wanted to take this time of talking about you know like how does a deck sharing ecosystem affect a card game in general and you mm-hmm. could you could take this and you could apply it to all card games which is why um i wanted to do my best of not naming certain things uh in general just to get people like just to get people thinking you know like how how do um things like eternal war cry uh teams content creators how do they affect and shape a metagame in terms of decks yeah yeah 
100% agreed. Uh, and as for um, the deck I'm going to suggest for uh, spontaneous deck suggestions, I, I, I kind of sort of have two. Uh, in terms of a good deck, you should actually play on ladder. Um, uh, play even Combray. Even Combray is really good. You can do some sweet stuff with Imperial Oilst and Heirloom Blade. Um, yeah, you. Like I, I've been trying out. I've been trying out some. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been trying out some pretty cool uh, tutor targets like Seraf, Green Strategist. You can get like Thundering Carousel or Mystic Ascendant off of a uh, Imperial Loyalist with an Heirloom Blade, which is super cool. Uh, you can do some cool stuff with like Sword of Unity and Reweave, and it, it, the deck just kind of like churns forever. It, it, it's really sweet. I love it a lot. In terms of a deck, it's a little bit more out there. Um, imagine. Imagine open contracting yourself twice and then using a crown watch press getting to fetch for a jack. That's kind of all I'm going to say, but <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a deck. It's very sweet. Um, I don't know if it's actually good, but it's really funny. Um, I, mean, I mean, just imagine like uh, like an FTS deck with Spire Shadows. Your jack becomes a, <laughs> a, two, a two cost three two. Three three. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, two cost three three. Yeah. Yeah, so it comes to two cost three three. As long as you spire before you cast your first open shadows, then it's gonna work the way you want it to, and it's gonna be very good. It, it, the spire shadows then becomes like a, a, the, your fifth open contract, assuming you're like getting it from your market or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've tried that too. That's sweet as well. Um, I mean, you could also get like you could also get like Aurelian Supplier as a one drop, which is ridiculous. Oh yeah. I- uh, back, back when it was seeing, back when uh, Spire Shadows was seeing more play, it was it, it was always fun when you would open contract yourself twice after Spire Shadows and just play <laughs> uh, play an Aurelian Supplier for zero. People, hey guys, even handed Golem. How about a how about a zero cost two two that draws two cards and, and has uh, has a uh, charge? <laughs> oh, but it, oh, but it's a three two. It's even better. Yeah, it's, it's even yeah. better than that. <laughs> zero zero cost three two with charge draw two pretty pretty nuts but as we saw spire shadows didn't really make the cut for the meta unfortunately yeah it's, it's a little slow spending two power to not impact the board and you have to get it with the market so it's already card disadvantage it's it, 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 it's tough it's tough i think there's something there but uh it just hasn't really been its potential hasn't been fully realized yet well i hope everyone um enjoyed this episode it wasn't as uh fun or uplifting i would say but this was this this was a much more informative episode which is what well, i think is good to have every once in a while i think it's good to you know just sit mm-hmm. down and uh you know just just get everyone's heads thinking uh whether or not oh, yeah, people, absolutely. whether or not people agree or not it's still you know it gets you thinking yeah for sure definitely it's definitely a very like important topic uh pretty serious topic and like it's something it's something to think about it, it impacts all of us when we play eternal uh, and it, like it's important. It, you can help you get a leg up on on the competition if you're cognizant of all these things, and are able to like take take this take this knowledge and use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that, uh, Cthulhu, you got any plugs for the end of this episode? So I'm gonna plug the same things I've been plugging. Uh, if anyone wants to check me out, you can follow me on uh, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. All the same handle, TCG Cthulhu. Um, YouTube's a little slow right now until I uh, until I get an editor. Uh, new editor and at a webcam. Uh, Twitch, I try to stream every other day at 11 uh, a.m. Used to try to stream anywhere from four to five hours. And then Twitter, I try to be as active as possible on there as I can. Uh, oh, and then also I'd like to shout out my team, uh, WSG. We stream games. Uh, you can find us on our Discord, which is linked in my Twitter and uh, Twitch as well. 
Awesome. Awesome. Uh, as for me, I'm also on Twitter uh, and Twitch. You can find me at, at doc28ccg. Pretty simple. That, that's my handle like everywhere. Um, in terms of other places you should uh, go after watching or after, sorry, you're not watching this podcast. You're listening to this podcast. I apologize. After you listen to this podcast, um, go ahead and check out uh, my friends over at The Misplay. They have an awesome podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you should definitely listen to them as well. They make awesome content. Uh, could also listen to Eternal Journey, Farming Eternal. They're two very good uh, draft-focused podcasts. I guess Eternal Journey is also a constructive focus, but um, lots of really good draft content there. Uh, Backlash is another great podcast. Um, and yeah, that, that's about all I got. Thanks for hanging, man. Yep, it's been great. I always enjoy these episodes. And we look forward to seeing all of you in the next episode of The Shimmercast.